All right, Riverhouse, let's get on our feet. I'm going to read the Bible. Don't you just love the Bible? I love the Bible. I got a group of guys. We're reading the Bible four times through this year. And we are, I got three chapters left for my first time through 2023. So I just love the word of God. God, give us more hunger for the word of God. Amen. Okay. Where are we? Okay. So I'm going to read Hebrews chapter four. Um, we're going to start at verse 14. Just read three verses. Give us a context here. Give you another minute. If you're at Matthew, turn right. If you're at Revelation, turn left. If you're at Ephesians, turn right again. If you're at 1 John, turn left again. All right, Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. It's the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You can be seated. Jesus, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts tonight through the Holy Spirit, and you would embolden us with a confidence to come before the throne of grace, to find mercy and receive grace in this day of need, we pray and we ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's such a joy to be back with you. Uh, I was overseas the last couple of weeks, and there's no place like home. Uh, thank you for uh, praying for me. I listened to the live stream Who's blessed the last couple of weeks at church? I, I got to go to church twice this week. I listened to Pastor Justin talk about healthy family two weeks ago. I could listen to Justin talk about healthy family five days a week, I think. Every time he talks, my heart's like, oh my gosh, you know what I'm talking about? Such a good word. And AJ last week talking about keeping the blood warm. Who's been keeping the blood warm, cultivating the joy of salvation? Come on, somebody. It's good to be back in person, though. It doesn't, nothing quite the same as being home. Um, I want to give a quick plug before I jump in tonight is that we are going to do a global Sunday update on April 23rd. So mark your calendars. That's three nights from three weeks from tonight. And we're, we're going to shut the live stream off and just give a thorough update of what God's doing overseas um, one of the things we've just been feeling is there's such a big disconnect between uh, the knowledge of the church with, with an understanding of just what amazing things God is doing overseas. And so we're just going to create a night uh, to just testify. And we have some videos and uh, it's going to be uh, an incredible time. We saw 80,000 new converts come to the Lord last Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty wild stuff. It was like... It was like the whole city of Caldwell standing in one moment. So we, we have videos and we just kind of want to take you and, and, and let you see immersive and, and of what God's doing. So we'll do that more that, um, that night. But thank you for praying while we were gone. Um, praying for us a couple weeks ago in service. And yeah, we'll, uh, we'll jump in. So I, I was asking the Lord what, what, what to talk about tonight. And I, I felt that he said, I want you to be redundant, which is not usually a word that I like. But he said, I want you to just go back. And before you jump into anything further, I want you to just refresh and remember. Uh, and, and maybe just spend five or ten minutes looking at where we've been the last nine months. Yeah? Uh, I, I think that River House is under construction. Can you say under construction? If you've ever been at a place under construction, there's a lot changing. It's good. There's development, but there's still development that needs to come. And we're under construction, and we're in a time where the Holy Spirit's been bringing some reformation to things and some development to things. And it's been a lot of change, and it's been amazing, and God's been doing incredible things. But I just kind of want to take a little moment to remember and take a, a broad stroke at what the last nine months have been to build a context for you of of really what we've been doing and what we are going to do. And it's, it's the same blueprint that I'm trying to lay repeatedly and repeatedly. And as I've matured, even as a minister and a pastor and a leader, 
I feel like God's really trying to teach me how to stay in the same stream and be methodical in laying out a blueprint for the church. So I just want to I just want to take a little refresh. Um, so about nine months ago, last fall, we opened up a topic on the royal priesthood. He was here that first night when we had the bag of seeds, and you grabbed a bag of seeds. You know those seeds have been growing. They've been growing. I've been hearing testimonies. Those seeds have been growing. Uh, we, we opened up this topic of a priesthood, and we kind of debunked some of the religiosity around what it means to be a priest, and a priest has nothing to do with the clothes you wear or a religious title. We traced it all the way back to Adam, where God ordained man to be a royal priesthood, which was this representative to, from creation to God and God to creation. So Adam was given this exalted place of stewarding the earth and actually cultivating it and making it look like heaven. Adam forfeits this when him and Eve choose to sin, but Jesus redeems the priesthood. He becomes the perfect representative of, of creation back to God and God back to creation. John 14, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen God. He's reinstating a royal priesthood. And uh, God has given us this identity that we see all throughout Old Covenant and then fulfilled in Christ, that we are a royal priesthood unto God, which means we have a vocation to steward, say steward, the earth to make the earth look like Eden, to look like heaven. And that God has called us, he's given this, this threefold vision of worship where we're to cultivate in the spirit with the Lord and in worship and intimacy. We're to cultivate in family and healthy relationships. And we're to cultivate the earth, the actual physicality of this planet. And that our call as a priesthood are to be cultivators. Right? And much of the, the Western church has been almost indoctrinated into a non-participatory. Do you remember when we did this? Say it, non-participatory expression of what it means to be a part of a local church. But we've been, we've been growing out of this. We've been talking about when we gather on Sunday nights, right? we're, we're learning to participate together and actually cultivate together a worship encounter with God. Like we saw how many people were participants tonight. Raise your hand if you were participating actively tonight. If you came with a burden and you came something to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Come on, God's raising up a priesthood. I've been hearing testimonies of what's happening in living rooms that have been absolutely firing me up. How many people in here, you've had a, a, a significant God moment in a living room in the last nine months? You know why? Because we're participating. We're actively contributing. We're meeting in, in circles of house churches and we're cultivating something and we're creating something with God. We're acting like priests, like stewards of the earth, right? And then the, the, the vision is that this would then overflow, what we cultivate with God in the spirit, what we cultivate in the family context starts to overflow and spill out into our city so that we can see physical redemption and a city actually look like heavenly city, Jerusalem. Come on. This is so good. Do you remember this? Yes, this is good. This is good. Uh, and, then, and then we switched maybe six months ago. Not switched, but we kind of started talking about the idea of a heavenly blueprint. And that Moses was this forerunner of an apostolic minister where he goes on a mountain and he gets a blueprint from God of what, how to build the house of God and how to orient society around the house of God. Jesus takes this even further. He gives us the, Lord pray, the Lord's prayer, which this, is this apostolic prayer that he says, here is your pattern. Here's the blueprint for life. It's like he's the master builder and he lays out the architectural drawings on earth as it is in heaven. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to live as citizens of heaven on earth and cultivate the earth to make it look like heaven. Then he gives John this blessed revelation where he begins to see heaven as a holy city built around a throne of worship. So heaven is this context where there's a throne and priests are worshiping in the spirit at the throne. And then they go out and they create a city. And then it says the gates are open and they go and export to the nations. So there's this rhythm of throne, city, nations, which is the foreshadowing of life. A life on earth is the foreshadowing of this, where we're learning to gather at a throne 
the house of God, then we go out into a city and we're cultivating family and we're engaging as uh, redemptive agents with creation through our jobs, our workplaces, the marketplace. And then we're to export this to the ends of the earth. We're, we're learning. We're, we're, we're actively partnering with the Holy Spirit so that the life of, of being a part of Riverhouse Church is we're actually living into the heavenly blueprint and we're actually learning how to be citizens of heaven while on earth so that when we get there, we're not shocked. Like, oh, there's work. There's things to do. Like there's expectations and responsibilities on me as a citizen of heaven, but we're actually learning it. We're living into that reality now. We're starting to get taste of tomorrow's bread today. We're, we're a prophetic people, meaning that we're a foretaste of heaven on earth. That's what the church is. We're living into our calling, amen? Come on, so what starts at the throne is intended to make its way home. What starts at the throne is intended to make its way to the city. And we'll never transform a city until we learn to minister and worship at the throne of God. So for that reason, we focused a lot on worship. Yeah, you remember that? We worshiped a lot. Who's worshiped more in the last six months? I mean, spiritual worship than you have maybe ever in any six months chunk of your life. Come on. And who's experienced simultaneously that the expression of God is as vibrant as it's ever been? The more we open to him, the more he sows. And when he sows, that word just accomplishes what it was sent forth. You know what I mean? Come on. So we're, we're, we are actively being discipled by the Holy Spirit into a heavenly vision of worship. And I, I, as you read Revelation 4 and 5, you've seen that expressions of that are starting to break out here on Sunday nights. And I love that. Because the worship of the Sunday gathering should mirror what's taking place right now in heaven. And the more that comes into agreement, the more potent the flow of the Spirit of God, that heavenly river will be that will then go out and transform everything we know about this world. That Ezekiel 47 will make the Dead Sea a place of fish. <laughs> it will make dead places come to life. That is what we're cultivating as a house. That's the blueprint we're building. We're under construction. Say under construction. Oh, how I wish we could finish tomorrow. I promise I do. But it's a journey, and God is so beautifully at work in this process. Amen? Amen. All right, so now I'm just going to keep on this same topic of worship. Surprise! I just told you why. I'm going to keep on it, you know. And, and this is maturity for me. Probably five years ago, I'd have been like, okay, let's on to the next thing. Because I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. You know we're pregnant. God's always impregnating us with promise. I'm pregnant with promise for this house. I see where we're going. I already have messages from the Lord. He told me, he's already given me messages. He said, this is when you're preaching it in 2024. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so long. But he said, you're working on worship now. So, Shaba. So tonight, I feel that the Holy Spirit wants to build up a holy expectation in you that when you come to worship God, an expectation that when you come to worship, there'll be a grace encounter. And, and, and I, I want to establish, I actually want to grow this, this sense of holy and pure faith that worship is a means of encountering the God of heaven. That worship is a means of actually living out what we read, Hebrews 4, of coming boldly before the throne of grace, expecting to receive mercy and grace from God. That every time we praise and worship the name of Jesus, there is an encounter of grace being released from heaven. I want to I liberate faith in you and, and cultivate a godly expectation of worship. So, Holy Spirit, help us and do your work as we lift up your name and your word. Amen. So uh, Ruth Heflin, we've, I, I've, I've, who's read that book, Glory, that I said you should all read? I'm just glad you're so, at least you are honest. You're, you're not obedient, but you're honest. That, that counts for something. So pat your one back, you know, but not both hands. <laughs> Ruth Heflin has a book called Glory, Experiencing the Atmosphere of Heaven. I've stolen her line because I think it's simple and it's deep as we, we're learning to praise until the spirit of worship comes and then worship until the glory comes and then stand in the glory. Who's heard me say that? 
I, I'm not going to go into this tonight, but I love this. But what I actually want to talk about and what I felt prompted to talk about is the belief that undergirds and supports that. Like what Ruth is speaking to actually rests upon a belief, like this foundational belief that says praise and worship actually triggers an encounter with God. That's what she's advocating. That's what I've been advocating uh, as we've been speaking on the topic of worship, is that praise and worship triggers an encounter with God. And if, if we're honest and maybe more if we just would reflect on that, that would make some of us uncomfortable. Well, it could make you uncomfortable for many reasons. You could say, well, that seems to exalt man to the place where we could manipulate God into action. So perhaps you could say that's too lofty a thought of man and too debase a thought of God. But I don't think that's what the scriptures are advocating. And I'm not going to go all deep into that tonight. But what I do want to present is two questions that I think should be important to ask in response to that belief. Like, is that belief true? Do praise and worship, has God prescribed the church and given the gift of worship that we would do it to trigger an encounter with God's grace? Is that true? I believe it's true. I'm not trying to question your mind, but I, I do think that sometimes asking questions is fruitful. And, and I, I could imagine that there's two questions, and I actually want to answer these two questions the rest of the night, and that, that could produce discomfort on the statement that I just made to you. One would be, well, is it faith? Am I allowed to believe that? Or is it presumptuous for me to come with an expectation of God meeting me with an outpouring of his grace? Like, am I allowed to do that? How much am I allowed to believe for? And, and, and then I think maybe the deeper question you could ask is, is that belief pure or is it selfish? Meaning, is me coming with a desire to encounter God, is that about me or is that about him? Anybody resonating with me? So there's some discomfort. I'm trying to actually make you a little uncomfortable. Some of you are like, wow, I was never uncomfortable until you said that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> now go home. We'll uh, talk about it next week. Um, so, so I'm trying to produce a little discomfort because I personally live my life in a way that I don't stop until I have understanding of something. If you think of the word understanding, you stand under it. Meaning if you were to have understanding of a tree, you would have to actually understand the whole root system and the fruit system. You'd have to do the work to get down where you understand, oh, I see the whole ecosystem, not just what's above the surface. I think that oftentimes truths in God are like this. There is a fruit system at work that we can take at face value, but I personally just, I'm like, I need to understand the root system. I, I wanna come to understanding of something because I feel very empowered once I have understanding because I can't be manipulated by the lies of the enemy once I understand something. This is the power of understanding. So I'm presenting these questions because I want to, I really feel the Lord wants to gift us some understanding of what we're doing. Why are we worshiping? What's taking place when we approach the throne of grace, when we do what we just did for the last hour? So faith or presumption? I, I want to start with this question, unpacking it, and, and really let the Lord take us on a journey that, of 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 answering what is God, like what does God really think of the posture of my heart and your heart as we come to worship? Like does God say, yep, that's it. Like that's what I wanna know, yeah? I don't wanna come with half-truths and emotionalism. Like I wanna come with a pure heart that God's like, that's the heart that I'm looking for. That when, when you come before me in praise and worship, I want to be that, yeah? All right, so let's just start with faith or presumption. Is it presumptuous or is it faith to come expecting an encounter with God in worship? This is good. That's why you're quiet, huh? So the biblical context would actually present to us a narrative that worship is not a means of manipulation but a means of exploration. Say exploration. exploration. Jeremiah 29, one of my favorite verses, life verse, 
seek me. You'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Proverbs 25, 2, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search it out. Kings, royal priests. It's the glory of a royal priesthood to seek out what God has hidden. Worship is a prescribed means for exploration, not manipulation. We're not coming and saying, God, this is you. We're not twisting him. We're actually saying, your word tells me, seek me and find me. Search for me with all your heart. And the scriptures also reveal that God is a treasure trove of goodness to explore. And that there are many dimensions to the presence of God. I'm just going to give you six biblical dimensions to the presence of God. This is not exhaustive. You could probably search and find more. But these, these I think, will capture a lot of the expressions of how God manifests throughout Scripture. Um, the first is omnipresence. Say omnipresence. Colossians 1.17 says that through him all things were created and, and by him all things are held together. It's literally a verse telling us that the entire cosmos is being held together. And you could even argue at the molecular level, everything is being held together by God. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. Right? He's, he's in the stage. He's in, he's in me. He's, in, he's everywhere. Where's God? Everywhere. He's omnipresent. Scripture makes this clear. Right? We could saw this, the, the gathering presence of God. Matthew 18, 20, where two or more are gathered in my name. There I am. Well, I thought you were everywhere. I am. But when you gather in my name, I'm there. I'm more there. Psalm 22, 3. <laughs> you know, it gets more. He inhabits the praises of his people. So he has an inhabiting presence, a dwelling presence. So he's everywhere, but then when two or three gather in his name, he's there. But then if two or three gather in his name and he's there and then they start praising, he, he inhabits praise. He's more there. There's the intimate presence of God. We've all experienced this. I think the most beautiful picture of the intimate presence of Jesus is John leaning against his chest at the Last Supper. It's intimate. It's cozy. It's fuzzy. Say fuzzy. It just feels good. Don't you love when Jesus is fuzzy with you? It's like, oh, Lord, I needed that right now. I did not need a correction. It's been a hard season. You know what I'm talking about? It's fuzzy. John 15, 9, Jesus says, just as the Father loved me, I love you. Abide in my love. Fatherly, it's tender, it's warm, it's intimate, it's safe, it's secure. The intimate presence of God. The awesome presence of God. Say awesome. That word literally means terrible in like the old world. But not terrible in the sense of how we think of terrible, but awful terrible in the sense of like it's almost scary same john leaning on jesus's chest revelation 117 jesus shows up he's dead it's not fuzzy it's scary it's like oh yes 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 who's had this who has experienced the awesome presence of god before i remember one time i was mad at god and I was driving down the road and I said something to him I shouldn't say. And I felt the anger of God burn against me. And I literally said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm serious. It scared me to pieces. It was awesome. <laughs> Ezekiel twice fell like a dead man. The angel had to touch him and strengthen him so he could stand up. There's the powerful presence or the empowering presence of God. Acts 2, the presence of God comes in and empowers the church. Acts 4, I love Acts 4. I'm just going to read Acts 4 because it's one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts. 
And it, is, it shows the expectation of the early church. Listen to this. It, it, they, they've, just been, they've just been threatened. Uh, they've been threatened by the, the political religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. They said, don't do this anymore. And, and in Acts 4.27, they say, In this city they're gathered together against your servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined. And listen to this. They're worshiping the Lord, and then listen to their request. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place was shaken. <laughs> They worshiped with an expectation of God meeting them with power. They knew the powerful presence of God. Okay, six dimensions just right there. I'm sure we could find more. You know what I'm talking about. There's dimensions of the presence of God. Worship is the God-ordained method of exploring the manifest presence of Jesus. Worship is the God-ordained means of exploring the dimensions of God's manifest presence. In Hebrews 4, if we needed a nail on the coffin to get this presumptuous stuff out of us, boldly come to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace. You know, on your worst day, you need mercy. But on your best day, you still need grace, which means every day is a day of need. Can I get a hallelujah? Every day is a day of need. Come before me boldly expecting my grace to meet you on this day of need. Come on, somebody. From God's perspective, faith looks like coming with an expectation of a grace encounter. That's what faith looks like. It's not presumptuous. It says that person believes my Bible. That person believes my word. I want to be emphatic here. It's not humble to come before God with low expectations of manifest presence. That's not humble. That's not humility. This is actually the conditioning that has come to us from living in a lukewarm, idolatrous climate of Western Christianity. I, I, there, last week uh, overseas, a woman came, and I shared this. I've heard this same, this same rendition of this testimony. I've heard it. Dozens of times. She said, I was in so much pain, I almost didn't come to the meeting tonight because it was so painful to sit on the bus because of my back that I was almost weeping. And she's crying in front of a group of people testifying. But she said, but I came because I believed God was going to heal me tonight. And she's crying, testifying to 500 people that she's perfectly healed. I've heard that same testimony. People saying, I was so sick, I didn't want to get out of bed but because it was church today, I forced myself to walk the two miles to get to church because I had an expectation that Jesus was a healer and he was going to touch me. I've heard that so many times. <laughs> They're not being presumptuous. They're being hungry. They're coming with expectation. They have faith. They have faith. Come on, somebody. They have faith. We, we gotta, I believe God's trying to disciple us out of lukewarm, idolatrous climate into true humility of heart, where when we wake up on Sunday morning and we're not feeling good, we're like, I got to get to the house of the Lord today. Come on, somebody. Not, you know what, I think I'm going to stay home because I don't feel good. We've all done it. I've done it. It's context. Right? It, the, the whole Old Testament narrative, I've been reading through the Old Testament narrative. I told you, I'm about to finish the Old Testament after church tonight. I've been reading through it, and the, the, the theme, the overarching theme of Israel is that God has an intense desire for proximity with his people. And, and, and he manifests this, he manifests his presence in Israel. But as Israel's worship would become polluted, the manifest presence would start to wane. And so then God would act and raise up a deliverer or a prophet or a king that would call Israel back to pure worship. And as worship would be reformed, the manifest presence would return. So what I'm trying to say is the thought of if I'm presumptuous of is God going to encounter, is God going to show up at church, is because we've actually lived in Ichabod for too long. 
We lived where when the glory shows up, that's the special Sunday. Ooh, that was good. The glory was cooking. Oh, that was amazing. God's like, I want to dwell with you. <laughs> it's like we've almost acted like we're, we're the prison. We got a visit from Jesus this week. <laughs> it's like, I set you free from prison so we can live together. What I'm just trying to stir up in you is an expectation that God is looking for faith. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? You are not being presumptuous in coming to the house of God or to a house church or to the scriptures every morning with an expectation that will your manifest presence touch me, God. Today's a day of need. I'm coming with confidence that you'd meet me with mercy and grace. That you would overflow, that there would be an outpouring of manifest presence on my life. Manifest presence, the glory, is the inheritance of the church. Come on. It's your inheritance. It has your name on it. Jeremiah 33.3, then I'm going to move on. Call to me and I'll answer you. And tell you great and mighty things that you do not know. Hebrews 11. If we're to come to God, we must believe that he exists. This is the context. If you're to come and worship God, you must believe that he exists. And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And what's the reward? It's himself. It's his grace. Elijah on Carmel was not being presumptuous. He had an expectation that God would come in fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not being foolish when they risked their lives to defy Nebuchadnezzar. We had an expectation that God would be with them in the fire. Daniel was not being stupid when he continued worshiping in the sight of the prefects of Darius because they, he knew even though I worship against the decree of the tyrant, God will manifest and protect me. God is looking for faith. And when there is pure worship, there will be manifest presence. <laughs> wow. So we, we've answered that question. The deeper question is the question of purity. We're to come with faith, but, but how do we guard from the pollution of the flesh? How, how, do, we, how do we safeguard? How do we know that, that I'm coming with purity? Like, I'll come with the expectation, but how do I know that that expectation is being sourced from purity? How do I know that from God's perspective, he doesn't see the self nature. He sees, he sees what he's looking for. He's like, yes. So the question of purity. There's a lot of debate today over the reformation, the topic of worship and the, the reformation of worship. And I think it's rightly so, particularly in the Western context. And I think we're seeing, you know, we've been seeing for probably the last few decades this this increased appetite. I think it was in the 90s that worship really started coming to the forefront and the spirit started breathing on worship and we've seen, we've seen fruitful expressions that have become immature and unfruitful and there's just, there's just a huge topic of worship alive in the body of Christ today, yes? It's because worship is so powerful, right? The enemy doesn't waste time trying to confuse things that aren't powerful. So there's a lot of debate today over the reformation of worship. And as I have, I, I've been searching for understanding. I've been searching for language to try to crack the code per se. I really want to understand this worship thing, Lord. And as I have gleaned from different worship movements, that this, this message has come clear emphatically. And I think this message is true, but I want to take it a little bit deeper tonight. And the message that I've been hearing is that Western worship has been self-centered and it's time to make it all about Jesus. Yes? Yeah, there's, there's, been a, there's been a selfishness. There's been the evidence of the flesh woven into the worship. And, and it's time to, to come to purity, to just Jesus. Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. And I also want to, uh, to, to I don't know if challenge it's the right word, but I want to dig a little bit deeper tonight um, because I don't think that there's been comprehension of that. 
I don't think that we have, as the body of Christ corporate, a, a comprehension of what does it mean to make it all about him. So rather than answer that for you, I'm going to read a, a, a lengthy quote from Jack Hayford. We have it on the, we have it on the screen. Um, Jack Hayford, for those of you who don't know, he's actually with the Lord now. He just passed in the recent, uh, the recent months. And he is a spiritual father, an apostolic father. Um, he, he's, he was a pioneer in the worship movement. He has extensive writings on this topic. And I believe his voice is prophetic. And it's probably even more pertinent to the body of Christ now than when he was in the prime of his pastoring. Um, Bill Johnson quote, uh, uh, gives honor to this man as one of the men that really lit a fire for worship in his own heart. So he's the real deal. Who's heard of Jack Hayford before? He has his own Bible. What is it called? Anybody? The Spirit-Filled Bible. He wrote his own commentary. So he's a teacher. He's a, he's a good guy. So do we have that quote or no? No, we don't have that quote. That's a surprise to me. I have the quote. You guys don't. So... It's long, but here we go. Are you ready? We will send this out to you. Um, it's simple. We'll send this out to you. So this is Jack. He says, one of the most difficult things in the world is finding balance, especially when you have the challenge of putting great truths into proper perspective. It's amazing how the habits of sincere people often make us so intense and so entrenched in a good thing that we become peculiarly able to turn it into a bad thing. When that occurs, it's even more difficult to explain how any truth that relates to God himself can possibly become cast in a negative light. Throughout five decades of pastoral leadership, I've had frequent occasion to deal with dear people who were passionate about something of God's truth and pursued its application with near vengeance. They focused their faith forcibly Pursuing a value the Bible revealed, yet the fire of their own human energy, sometimes interpreted as the fire of God's spirit, became self-consuming and at times destructive to their relationships or personal ministries. Worship is often distorted in this way. In seeking balance to the question, who is worship really about? Please understand that in no way do I want to detract anyone's attention from the truth of God's greatness almightiness, worthiness, and sovereign power. First and foremost, above and beyond all, he is, period. That is why he revealed himself to Moses as I am. This ever-presentness summarizes the complete fullness, adequacy, perfection, and beauty that characterizes his person. So whenever we discuss the subject of worship, it is understandable that the primary person in view is the ultimate one. Worship is, as we've said, all about him, there is another facet of God, however, that is also all about him. It's this. He not only is ever and always, but in his own word, the Bible, he wraps up everything he is in one word. He says conclusively, more than anything else, this is what I'm about. I am love. With this statement, God is love. God's word has suddenly turned the tables on us. It's as though he's balancing something for us. As though he is saying, you may come to worship me and I welcome you bringing glory to me because it's right. But it's also good for your own sake that you worship me. Not because I need your worship, but because through it, you will be progressively liberated from yourself, which is life's worst bondage. By worshiping me, you are also being brought to a place of intimate relationship one of knowing, understanding, and walking with me. As well, he might continue, I want you to know where my focus is, my will, my interest, my power, my purposes, my commandments, plans, objectives are never about me. They're about you. They are all targeted for your blessing, your fulfillment, your fruitfulness, and your realizing my purpose in creating you. And the reason I've given my ways of worship to you is this, so that by those means you might come up from where you are and enter into all that I have for you. That may disturb some of you because Pastor Jack is giving us a paradox. Say paradox. Or you could say an enigma. 
he's actually challenging what I would say would be an oversimplification. And what I have heard, and this is a lot of what I've picked up in the, in the, in the, in the worship scenes, is it's, it's been about us, it's time to make it all about him. But it's almost presented in a way that in making it all about him, it's the denigration of our identity. It's as if we have to disappear and it becomes all about him. And I think God is trying to reveal a deeper truth that in making it all about him, he's Jack saying, worship is all about God who makes it all about us, which is what makes it all about him. See, Jesus said, I would ask that you would be in me and I'd be in you. So think about it. In making it all about God, God's like, I've made it all about you because you're in me, which is what makes it all about him. It's a mystery is what I'm trying to advocate. And it's too simplified to just go between dichotomy to dichotomy. And I almost think it's, it's too elementary and it's almost, it's almost like all oh, those last people 40, 50 years ago, they just didn't get it. It's all about him. Yes, it's all about him, but the flesh is conniving. Do you know what I mean? The flesh sneaks into things. The flesh creeps. Right, so if worship is all about God, who makes it all about us, which that is what makes it all about God, that sounds so beautiful. What, what's the hang up? Why do we mess it up? It's the flesh. Because your flesh does not believe that. Not for a moment. Not for half a second. The flesh does not want to make it all about God because the flesh doesn't trust that it's all about you. Some of you are saying, no, that's not true. Do you trust him with your finances? If he asked you for everything, do you trust? If he asked you to move to China, do you trust it's all about you? If he asked for your tithe, you trust it's all about you, your best interest. When he asks you for sexual purity and celibacy and singleness, do you trust it's all about you? When he asks you to prompt you to come forward and dance on a Sunday night in front of the church, do you trust it's all about you? <laughs> Our flesh doesn't trust that. It's like, heck no. <laughs> You're sick. You're sick and wrong. There was a story from my childhood that I think captures what Jack's trying to communicate. It's a story I've never forgotten. And uh, when we were young, I was probably nine, maybe younger than that, because I don't even think Mason was born yet, because I think me and Riley were young. And we would come in the summers and we would visit Idaho. So my grandparents lived in Nampa and they lived on a, a house and they kind of had um, some acreage around them and it was down a hill and there was this old abandoned barn and Riley and I would go down there and we would play in it. And I remember this one day so vividly, we were down and we kind of snuck into the barn. We had flashlights and, you know, we were like little boys on an adventure. And in the middle of the adventure, I heard what I didn't want to hear, which was mom saying, time to be done playing, come up. And she probably called for us two or three times, but I consciously remember making the decision to act like I didn't hear her. Anybody been there before? It's too bad the kids aren't here still, right? You're like, this is, they need this word. You're gonna get all your eight-year-olds on the live stream tonight. I made the decision. I'm gonna pretend like I didn't hear mom. And we just kept playing. After, after some time, uh, we got tired and hungry or thirsty or whatever it was, and we were done. And we kind of moseyed up the hill, probably all covered in dirt, walked into the, the backyard of my grandparents' house. And did, does anybody remember the Swans Man? Did, I think he's, they still exist. Well, we just, we, we were raised on Swans Man's fudge bars. Anybody had one of those? Those were the bee's knees back when I was a kid. It's weird to say I'm dating myself, but I'm a dad now and I'm dating myself. The Swans Man. Anyways, we walk up and my mom is finishing one of those fudge bars. And we were like, where'd you get the Swans Man fudge bars? She was like, he came 30 minutes ago. That's why I called you. And she said, you disobeyed. You don't get one. And let me just tell you, this is why discipline's so powerful. I still remember it. It hurt. 
I thank God she didn't give me one of those fudge bars because I felt it and I had to look at myself. I remember I was a little kid, but I was like, I thought mom was trying to steal my fun. She was trying to give me fudge. Isn't that a picture of God? It reminds me of another story that we find in Genesis with a man named Adam and a woman named Eve. When God says, look at everything I've given you. I'm for you. All the trees you can have. Do this, cultivate this, create beauty. I'll be with you. Don't eat that tree. He prescribes to them their means of worship. The serpent comes along who knows how much long after. And he starts whispering in Eve. He starts trying to pull her into this web of deception. God doesn't want you to eat that tree because he wants it for him. It's actually God's selfish. God's self-serving. He's holding out on you. He's pulling the wool over your eyes and saving the best for himself. He doesn't want you to have it because when you have it, you'll be like him starts enticing her into a thought pattern that God doesn't make it about you. He does not have your best interest. God is about himself. She buys into it. And so the curse comes, which is this deeply integrated flesh nature that vehemently does not trust that God would make it all about me. Because where have we seen love like that? Only one the cross. It's as if all of us have that little barn in our hearts that sometimes wants to decide if we really hurt him or not. We really trust him or not if we really want to obey him or not. God's not looking for something brilliant. He's looking for something broken. The worship that God's looking for, the purity, it's found in humility. It's found in a heart that's broken before God. To this one I will look, to one who's broken and contrite in spirit. God's looking for brokenness. That's the safeguard from the flesh. It's not the ignoring of the flesh that's gonna make it all about him. It's actually the active surrendering and crucifying of the flesh. It is a heart that comes before God that just breaks and what humility looks like, what brokenness and humility looks like, this is what it looks like. Complete and total openness to the penetrating power of the Holy Spirit. I am completely open to your correction, to your conviction, to your exhortation, to whatever you would say and ask. My whole life is on the altar yet again. Humility is open and humility is hunger. It's a heart that says, I need God. I need God. If we will open, right? Why worship is pleasing to God is not because it's stroking his ego. It's because it postures our heart so that he can give vent to his love. That's what pleases him. Love loves to love. And the reward of love is love. Jesus just longs to love you and me. He is calling out, give me your worship. When you orient it all to me, I give everything. I orient myself to you. No greater love than the cross of Calvary. This is what it invoked. This is what he prophesied as he hung on the tree. It's not about me. It's about you. So if you make it about me, I'll make it about you because that's how it makes it about me. It's beautiful, but God's looking for brokenness. He's looking for humility. It's a heart that says, I don't have it figured out, but I'm open and I'm needy. Come on, somebody. I know the enemy still whispers to the church today 
No intelligent being would come to a Sunday gathering and expose themselves vulnerably before 500 people and sing and shout and have this emotional expression and all these things. This is just stroking the ego of God. That, that whisper is alive. And that may be a fleshly perspective, but it's veiling from the truth of the spirit, which is that as we come and empty and open and say whatever it is, I just give myself to you. We actually are, are, are opening our hearts for these rays of divine love to pierce into us and to catalyze and transform and make us like Jesus and do more than we could ever ask and imagine. Worship is the very means, it's the very thing that triggers and, and brings us to where God can give vent to his full nature and empty the depths of his perfect holy love, the, the penetrating conviction and power of his spirit into our inner man and work wonders in our midst. This is why we worship. Worship is the greatest gift man's ever been given because it predisposes, it positions us to receive the vent of God's nature, which is love. I'll close with this. My wife and I were talking and she said, you know, George, it's interesting that, Jackie's like, it's interesting that it seems like all we've done for six months is worship. She's like, but there's life everywhere. And we were in a room with leaders and we said, what do you think God's doing in the church? This, that, this, holiness, encounters, deconstructing, awakening this, impregnating us with this. And it's like, my goodness, all of that? God's doing all of that? And it's as if all we're doing is worship. And God's like, that's all I need. Because now I can do what I want to do. Hallelujah. So this is how I want to close. God is not looking for something brilliant. He's looking for something broken. And if, if, you need, if you need breakthrough in your life tonight, if there's, I, I don't know, if there was a conviction, if there was this something that the Spirit of God is saying, I want that, I want that, I want that. If, if you were... Convicted. I just have the sense that some of you, even that story I shared, you, you are that little boy or that little girl that's saying, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to camp out here in the dark. I don't want to respond to that voice, to that unction, to that whatever it is, act of obedience. There's been something resistant in me. I just want to invite you to stand right now. Stand as a sign of repentance before the Lord in a position. It's actually an act of worship, a stand that says, I'm opening, God. I'm opening before you. I'm opening before you. And if you're standing, I just, I, I want you, you've already stood. I just want to ask you to come forward and, 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 and come before the altar of the Lord. We can put the lights down. Um, if we could just play maybe gentle music. And uh, I, I, I don't even, you know, ministry team, you can float. But I think this is a holy moment just between you and the Lord to just say, I'm open. I'm open, God. I'm open. 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 Lord, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would actually pour out the very humility of Jesus into our hearts tonight. Lord, humility is a prize, God. It's a gift. It's a grace. It's a treasure. And I just would ask, Holy Spirit, that you would actually reveal that precious and beautiful humility, the humility that came as a, as a, as a baby, the humility that humbled himself to a cross, that came on a donkey. He's just so beautiful, Jesus. And I just would ask, Lord, that the spirit of pride would be broken in this place tonight. If, if, if there is a yoke of pride, I have a sense there's a few more. I have a sense there's a couple that you're, you're pretty resistant. There's an internal fight. And I just want to, I just, I just bind right now the spirit of pride in the name of Jesus. God, I take authority over this demonic spirit from the pit of hell that wants to lie and create deception and, 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 and all these, this, this rigidity that's just not from you, God, that actually deters us. It, it closes off the portal of worship, God, the openness 
and the moldability before, before the heart of God. And I just, I just ask, Lord, that there'll be a cleansing and a washing away of stubbornness, God, of, of spiritual pride, God, of, of hubris, God, even of, a, of a, just a rigidity. Lord, anything that would be closed or, 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 or siphoned. I have a sense that some of you, it hasn't been completely closed, but it's been like a, it's been like a foothold, like a siphon, where there's just something in you that's just, uh, just, it's rigid, it's restricted. It's not free, it's not open. And Lord, I just would ask that, that you would do a, a, a work of deliverance tonight from a yoke of pride and that, that you would just open, you would open, you would open you would call with your voice and that you would call uh, to obedience. And I just, I have a sense that the Holy Spirit's going to ask for um, like these prophetic acts of obedience, um, that there's repentance and then there's going to be action. And, and I just, I just thank you, Jesus, for uh, an outpouring of grace right now, that you would pour out the grace, the grace, the charis of the very humility of your heart. Lord, it is Palm Sunday after all. We just ask that the humility of this beautiful King, Jesus, would be poured out upon hearts, that, that grace would touch, and that you would do, God, with tenderness. It's tender. It's tender love. What only you can do. We pray that in Jesus' name. Lord, I bless this house. God, I bless this house that you are cultivating and building a house of worship. God, a house of priests, Lord. And I just ask that you will release spiritual understanding into this house, that we will guard us from the works of the flesh and that you will establish us as a house of pure worship that will stand for generation after generation. And I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. I'm just gonna ask, if you're down here, I want you to just stay. This is a moment with the Lord. And if you're leaving, you can quietly leave and you know grab the kids and you can mingle in the lobby. But I just, I just have a sense that the, the Holy Spirit's gonna speak to you. And I just want you to wait upon the Lord. Um, just wait upon the Lord. Let's be patient tonight, um, patient as we wait, patient as we go and uh, be blessed. And we will see you next week, Easter Sunday in the house of the Lord ministry team. You, you can float and if you feel led to, to lay hands, you can lay hands.